never forget and never let happen again the worst genocide of mankind. Fight against hatred, those who hate and those who are hated. Fight against prejudice. Fight against injustice. Don't be a bystander. Be an upstander. There is a difference between people. Some people are blonde, brown, Catholics, Jews, and so on. There is a difference. Not two flowers are alike, but we can, and I will prove you with my experience, we can, and it's possible, coexistence if we just not only tolerate the differences, we have to accept it and follow the good of groups who are good, and there won't be any problem. During my, ex my experiences, I will prove you that Nazis and Christians, some, not much, not many, they couldn't, but they were my friends in need indeed. So it's possible. Um, for me, probably many of you heard my speaking in the, our nice retirement community. I have to tell you that I was 13 years old when all this happened to me. Um, 1940, the Hungarians were those who were first allies to Hitler. And because of this, Hitler gave Transylvania, my home region, to the Hungarians. Everybody smiles for Transylvania, please. You know something? The students know about it. Yes, please tell me, what is Transylvania? Oh, nobody knows Dracula? <laughs> well, that's where I was born. That beautiful county was given to the Hungarian, and with this, with this gesture, Hitler gave Transylvania to the Hungarians because they were their first allies. The problem was that all the laws, the Nuremberg laws, they came directly to Hungary and they applied right away on Jews. The business was taken, the valuables were taken from the Jews, and we had to wait to another kind of uh, lifestyle that we had before. For us children, the worst was that schools were closed for Jewish children. From kindergarten to college, no Jewish child would have education. It was terrible. That was only the beginning. The second step was taking us to a ghetto a ghetto that was completely isolated from everybody else. There was no in and out for 10,000 people in a brick factory. I had to tell you because I remember the brick factory. That has nothing, nothing that is a civilized uh, people could live in for a long time. The problem was that there were no toilets for 10,000 people. I mentioned this because I remember 
by that time I was 17 years old, I had a boyfriend who was taken to dig latrines for 10,000 people with six other young people. And he refused it. He said, no, I can't do this. This is subhuman. This is anti-hygiene. This is terrible. Even my dog goes to a shade when he has to do number one and number two. That was my first experience to see my boyfriend hanging to a tree because he refused to dig uh, latrines. He didn't die. They cut him off when he had fainted, but he was never a boy or a man or a human being afterwards. He was humiliated, tortured. This was the ghetto. One month, I don't want to go in details, but came the cattle cars on the road. You'll see it in the film that was done in your, in your um, university. I will see that later. It was Auschwitz. Cattle cars took us to Auschwitz. Everybody heard about it. It was a concentration and an extermination camp. My luck was that when they separated men from women, old from young, my mother was pushed to the right. She was 44 years old. Pushed to the right where people, young people, were needed for work after the concentration camp in Auschwitz. She was with me all during my stay, that <coughs> our stay in ghetto and in five concentration camps and lived in my house till she was 101. But they killed seven, 37 members of my family out of 39. Nobody came back, children, aunts, uncles, and my grandmothers. Only she and my mother and I survived. In Auschwitz, we were not for a long time, eight days only. I don't have a tattoo. But next, right after that, we went in Lithuania, Riga, where was a big concentration camp. We worked in factories. Again, just a flash of picture of what was in Riga. We recycled batteries. Inside the battery there was a material that the following day became gunpowder. So our work was very important. We worked at night shift from 6 o'clock till next day 6 o'clock. It was very hard for a 17 years old and a little older people to work 12 hours with the food that they gave us. And we could not keep our eyes closed, uh, open after 12 o'clock. The foreman, an old SS, came to me and he said, try to keep the work up. You speak German, maybe you sing German. I said, yes, I do, I sing two songs my father taught me. So, I saw a lullaby and a love song. Well, I won't sing the lullaby because we could sleep very well. <laughs> but I sang 
the love song. And they have. And for after a week, he didn't have to beat up every night every person who tried to close the eyes because he was good enough and they sang along. They didn't know the, the text, but they sang along with me. 60 women were not beaten up anymore. And this was a German Nazi, but he thought to treat us in more human way, to find a way how to produce and not to beat us every night. That was Riga for three months. No details, but I remember, I'll never forget this. This gave us a little hope with all that atrocities, shaving our hair, having one dress. Um, I don't want to make it. I brought a book also. 50 years after my nightmares, I decided to go to Auschwitz. And then I promised my mom that I will write everything what I saw and what I confronted because she believed in Latin saying, I don't know, should I repeat it? It is the words fly, the written stays. And that's what I did. I wrote a book. I'm still here, my mother's voice, everything what it was. I would still remember, but I want you to remember. That's what the book is for. This was Riga. After three months, the Russians came. We were in the border, East Prussia. And then the Russians came. We had, they had to evacuate. They did not want to leave this place, uh, the, to show this place to the Germans, to the Russians, of what happened to all of us. They took us away again to the next concentration camp. Again, I remember as a child, I was already 17 years old, so no child. One person had a louse in their dresses. Of course, we worked at night. We didn't have soap. We didn't have, so we didn't have hair, so the lice came to our dresses. I was given a dress because the group where I was they, they took our prisoner dresses and they gave us new ones so they, we won't have lice. They gave me a green satin dress. It's a cocktail dress, open and, uh, and short. I felt like, you know, who? One satin green dress. I'm talking to girls now. And I don't know how I'd look, how, how can I work in this one? Anyway, I saw myself in the, in the uh, train that took us, in the mirror, how do I look? And I went to my mother and I said, Mom, look at this, how can I work with this? I look like, and I didn't say, don't want to say. She said, no, never mind, just, just hope. And you, you will be invited to a, a party, a surprise party, and you will be the most beautiful. That was my mother, who never lost her faith, not a day, not an hour. She lost 80 pounds. She was a skeleton when we came back. But he pr she prayed every day, and on our Day of Atonement, if any Jews know that, Yom Kippur, 
She was fasting in the anti-tank trench that we dug for five months. And I asked, Mom, how can you fast? This is terrible. We fast every day. You must eat something. Where is your God? She said, don't talk like this. God will help us. We have to return. We have to tell the world what happened to us so it never happens again. And she fasted 24 hours. This the hope that never lets people die easily. Faith and hope kept us alive. My students are always asking, how could you do this for 11 months? Just by hoping. Because if you saw the fences of Auschwitz, we only had to touch it and we could die right away. They, they electrocuted, did I say correctly? And that was the, the <coughs> end of us. We did not touch it. We hoped that next hour, maybe I can see my father. I never saw him again, but the hope never let us live. I was invited many times to the Fordham University to talk to social workers who uh, worked with uh, um, final um, terminally ill people. And what can they say to them to keep them alive to the last three, four months of their life? And I had only one way to say, hope. Hope will never let. Maybe a new medication will be found. Maybe a new uh, procedure will be. And just give people hope. Um, as I said, after um, gunpowder factory, we went to anti-tank trenches. Everybody knows they, the Russians were coming. Uh, the anti-tank trench is six yards wide, six yards deep. Then uh, 1,000 women worked all the East Prussian border, East Prussian border. So the Russian tank, tanks will come and they just, they will fall into those pits that we did, dug. By November, it was terrible weather. My mother was very sick. I still forced her to come back, to come to work rain or shine, snow, it didn't matter. And she came, but she worked very slowly. The supervisors of our work were 16 to 18 years old boys. I called them, they were called Hitlerjugends. They had a, a, like a baseball bat in their, in their hand. They went around and between the trenches, and whoever slowed down, they just hit them, hit them like animals, faster. They stopped in front of my mother, who didn't work very fast, and she start, he started to beat her. I was in the bottom of the anti-tank trench, she was up there, working with the, shoveling the dirt, slowly. And I said, I couldn't stand it anymore. That my age level of boy could hit a person like this. I got up. I confronted her, him, and I told him, stop it. This woman is working for 12 hours from morning till 
late night with the food. And I told him what kind of food we got. And in cold and in heat. You can't do this to her. Stop it. This woman is my mother. And I looked at him and I asked him, don't you have a mother? The guy was flabbergasted, all red. After a while he said, yes, I have a mother, but she's German. In other words, all other mothers should drop dead. But she yelled, he yelled at her, you old bad, you were. But he stopped, turned around, and left. All the girls who were working me, Clara, you opened your mouth, this is terrible. They will bring the guards, and they wouldn't kill us because they needed our work. But they could punish us not to give us food, not to give us liquid, whatever. I didn't care. And I felt that night my mother's bruises in her back. I said, whatever, but at least he stopped. He beating her. Next day, the boy came back in the same place where we left off the work with a carrot in his hand and half of a cigarette. And he said, eat this carrot. It has some vitamin in it. Smoke this cigarette. It, you will be less hungry. I was plenty hungry. But the fact that a boy came back, quasi apologizing of what he did to my mother, it gave me again a little hope that we are not animals only. We are not only uh, some kind of machine who works, work and and I saved my mother with a boy who changed his life completely. I wish I could meet him sometimes later life. But I knew that I have somebody who thought of me as a daughter of a mother. This was till December and January when we could not work anymore in anti-tank trenches. The ground was so hard that they used they used some dynamite, but uh, for a very short while, we couldn't. I want to tell you that on the 19th of January, my birthday, we stood online again for selection to leave the place completely because Russians were coming, because we couldn't work already. It was too hard of work. And we stood online to be selected. By this time, out of 1,000 women, there were 250 who were able to walk. The rest were dead or they had to be left in a tent because they couldn't walk in this weather. Our, when the selection was going on, um, my mother had a little package in her hand and she said, Clara, you are 18 years old, I have a present for you. A present in concentration camp. It was a, little, a newspaper, some worker left there, and I opened the newspaper, there were three slices of bread. One on the top of the other with a little margarine in between. And this was my birthday cake, layer cake. 
it had three slices of bread, and that was unheard of. We got one slice a day, and if we ate in the morning, the whole thing, then we didn't have anything to eat later. And I asked mom, where did you get the bread? She said, you didn't eat it last night. I didn't eat it. I could eat a stone. I was always hungry. She didn't eat for three days to make me a birthday present on my 18th birthday. You see it in the movie. It is unheard of. But I keep telling to the students, the youngsters especially, don't make your mom buy every blouse that you want. Because they have a role even when a mother did not have any role. She was so happy then she could wash my only dress in the river and I stood inside with a blanket on me. Uh, I accepted and shared the birthday cake and we had a birthday party from it. Uh, on the 21st of January, the Russians finally came. We were in a, in, a in a farmhouse. Most of the people in the stable were some pigs and animals were. Those who spoke German, we went in the farmhouse and we overheard the decision to be made what the SS guards will do with us. One said that um, we should burn them in the, in the stables. There is enough straw, they will all die. One old German Nazi said, no way, the whole region will stink, the Russians will find out what did we do to them. No, he didn't accept it. Another one said, let's shoot them. Again, Papa, we called him Papa because he was a very kind man. No way, if I have my bullets, I protect myself. I'm not going to kill them. The end was that at four o'clock they took off, all of them, about 14, 15 guards, and we were left in the middle of nowhere, East Prussia. One guard saved our life, the old guy. Again, an example of miracle. Believe in miracle. For three months we walked home, walked. We couldn't get to a Russian truck. Sometimes they would pick us up because they raped. It was already 1944, 1945, and they were in war for I don't know how long. So we couldn't do that. We arrived at home at the end of April in an empty house one piano was there, it was too heavy to be looted, a couple of beds, and nothing else. How do we start life? There were no Jews in that town anymore. We, the five women or six who, who were in the same camp and were liberated early, we came home. My Christian friends, the pharmacist's daughter across the street of my house came with a velvet dress on her arm. I knew you would come home, Clara. I pulled down your dress from the truck, white, uh, a blue velvet dress with a lace color, because we knew you would come home. 
and I put it in my closet, and here it is. That was one. The second was a boy who came with my accordion that was three months in the ground. The box was in, in shambles, but he brought my accordion. When I left Romania, this time Romania, I gave to his son because I stayed in Romania for 17 years after the war. It was not a picnic in communism. They did not, they did not care what happened to us. I never talked for 17 years, never talked about my Holocaust experiences. They were not interested. They were building a new ideology, a new society, and they didn't care. My friends, who were friends indeed, gave me the notes of my sophomore year, of my junior year. There were no books during the war. They kept the notes, and they helped me to take my exams at the end of uh, August, and in September, I went to my regular senior class with their help. So, what I said, is it possible the coexistence? I believe in it. This is my message mainly for the student audience. It is up to you. It's, I know it's a big burden, but up to you. How do you educate yourself? How do you believe in education. That's the only weapon. Because some of them are asking me, why didn't you rebel? Why didn't you do something? They had the gun. We had nothing. And even today, I don't think that the problems could be solved only with atom bomb. I think education is the solution. And some teachers do help me. I really am so grateful that you let me tell you this and to send a message to your children and grandchildren that you saw a survivor of the worst genocide. The book is good too, but as long as I, I love to have, when I was told that they want, uh, they want um, a, a movie, and they did, because now we have Belle, who represents Hillel, and uh, she introduced, I was a, years ago, we had a nice celebration built by Chinese, Japanese, Jewish, uh, Christian children, I don't call children, students. We had a sukkah that is the harvest, uh, in harvest time, and we sang together and we had fun. And this was in this university. So I believe that we can be friends, get along, not just tolerate, get along and accept the differences. Is it a promise that you will talk about your children, grandchildren, that it never happens again? Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Clara, for really powerful story and touching and very, very important message of coexistence, no matter, and hope, no matter what the difference is. I would like to introduce uh, 
my mentor, my rabbi, the connection between Galutun University and Temple Etzchaim, Rabbi Spiegel, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Rabbi Richard Spiegel, I blanked, <laughs> and to recite the Kaddish, the mourner's Kaddish, it's a Jewish traditional prayer for um, a mourners, for the mourners, followed by cantor Greg Lutches from uh, Orange County, he's a cantor in Orange County, um, Laguna Woods congregation, reciting the El Malera Hamim. It's the core Jewish prayer for merciful God uh, in times of mourning. Thank you, Belle. Um, and thank you, Clara, again, for those very beautiful words that you really touch our hearts. You know, I have to say that over the years as a rabbi, you hear survivors speak. Some of you will recall that Michael Mark, who's here this morning, also spoke at this service a year or two ago. Uh, and when you have those experiences, you're really hearing the wisdom of people who have truly suffered and have come out on the other end, thank God. As many didn't, thank God they did. And they bring such a passion for life with them. And I want to say, even if they were not survivors, they're wonderful people. And what a privilege it is for all of us to be with you, to hear your words, and there's more to hear your wisdom that should never happen again, that anyone should have to suffer in such a terrible way. We don't want that for our children, our students who are here, and we don't want it for your children or your grandchildren. We don't want it for anyone anywhere in the world. So these days have become very, very important days to remember the Holocaust, to confront that terrible evil that occurred now 70 years ago, 70 years ago, for those who are around and you can't believe it's so many years, and for those like myself who came right after that, we can't believe it's so many years ago. And for some of you who are college students, it probably starts to feel like ancient history. It's not quite ancient history, but it's history, and it's important history for us to remember it. So please remember these days. They're so sacred and so important. I'd like to ask you now to rise for the mourner's prayer, the traditional mourner's kaddish. Yitgadal v'yitkadash shemerabah v'yomad yivrach yirutei v'yamlich ma'achutei v'chayechon v'yomechon v'chayedachol b'y Yisrael v'agala v'yizman kari v'yimru amen yeish meirabah mavarach v'yalam v'amei amaya yitbarach v'yishtabach v'yitpa'ar v'yitramam v'yitnasei v'yitadar v'yitalev v'yitalal shemedekudashah b'richu May the one who makes peace in high heavens grant peace to us, to all mourners, and to all of humankind. Let us say, Amen. Please remain standing for the special MLA Rachamim. 